go ahead and call us Shaquille O'Neal in the early 2000s because this is our third and one in the last four episodes here on the Shooting 2 podcast. It's summertime. We're traveling. We're soaking up the sun. But no one is doing that better than than our friend and, and my co-host, Andrew Rossi, who came back from a trip for European vacation, uh, UK, Ireland, and is now doing his best eastbound and down impression in the Carolinas um, at Emerald Shore uh, in North Carolina, spending time with some family. So we wish him a, a, a prolonged vacation as he's still still doing the damn thing. Uh, Rossi, hope you're enjoying yourself, man, as you listen to this podcast. And it is me, Onik, holding down the fort again uh, on an end one episode. So July 4th, recap, happy birthday to America. But maybe more importantly, happy birthday to to my mother, Arpita Bhattacharji, who uh, had the privilege and challenge of raising me uh, as her son. So happy birthday, mom. Had to shout you out on the podcast. I have a few things to talk about today. Uh, a lot going on in free agency, both like uh, from a uh, which team is going to bolster their roster enough to win a championship, but mostly focused on the individuals themselves. So let's start there. Let's start with the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> and I'm already laughing just because one, this whole this whole thing is a shit show and it's so entertaining. Like Brooklyn, the owner coming in, uh, you know, getting bought by a Russian owner, and then all that stuff that they did, uh, changing hands, you know, ever since the big three Celtics trade, getting uh Ray Allen and Paul Pierce over, or excuse me, Garnett and Pierce over. It's like it's just been a roller coaster for them. And I want to now address the current chapter uh, of the of the Brooklyn Nets. So Kyrie, you know, he has he he, he left his player option on the table, and he re he, he resigned. Right in the meantime, Mr. Kevin Durant, Kevin, Kevin, uh, <laughs> Mr. Twitter Fingers, this guy just can't stop. He can't stop trying to find out what team he can hitch his wagon to to win another title. And it's just so entertaining to me because he will probably go down um, as that one player who's probably a top 10 all-timer, top 15 all-timer statistically when his career is over, but probably won't have the same respect that, say, like a Charles Barkley had, right? Um, Where you don't change teams really, you know, more than like once or twice in your career because you feel like you are the keystone to that team winning a title. So before we get into like landing spots, this is always a conversation with Kevin Durant. So the, you know, sometimes off and on best player on the planet uh, in that conversation, who, when it's all said and done, will he have that level of respect from the NBA fans and the NBA community and the NBA players for what that's worth um, to be considered one of, one of the best to ever lace him up. Uh, you know, it's funny because now the sports media, you know, back when I was growing up, the sports media was mostly talking heads, like some ex-coaches, but people that are just mostly media media personalities um, and not really ex-players. But in today's ecosystem on ESPN, there's so many platforms that now ex-players retire, become coaches and or go into the media. And it's just interesting to watch people in the media have the same reaction that I'm having, right? Which is, I don't know if I respect him. And I can kind of sense that when they speak about KD, knowing that they give him the credit for being one of the best. But on the flip side, you can just hear it in the way they speak that he's really just rain chasing. 
and maybe to a fault, right? And it kind of, and I mentioned this last time I did the N one podcast about player mobility. He's taking to the interview, which is fine. Like, look, you're one of the best players in the league. You should be able to do whatever the hell you want. And I support that. But it's going to come at a price, right? And I think Kevin's going to pay the price, especially if this next one doesn't work out. Let's not forget, he got swept in the playoffs with Kyrie Irving on his team. Uh, so he, he he mentions in his trade a request that, hey, I want to make sure I go somewhere where there's at least two all-stars. So, Kevin... you're driving a hard bargain, but no one's going to forget. No one's going to forget about this chapter. Um, Before we get into like his landing spots, but I want to talk about his teammate, Kyrie Irving. And as the famous uh, uh, quote from, from the NFL's Dennis Green is, he is who we thought he was. He is who we thought he was. I, I mean, a guy sits out for half a season because he doesn't want to get vaccinated. Fine. Look, I'm going to respect everyone and their decision to make with their body. But that's just an example of who he's been, uh, you know, kind of, especially in Brooklyn, especially in Boston um, as a player. Right. And I think the Nets are going to deal and we get something in return, especially with Katie being like, I'm out. Kyrie isn't someone that you build a team around. He's just not dependable enough. Now, Thinking about Kevin Durant and, and, and all of this, right? Because he's going to, he can't even speculate where Kyrie's going to go. I mean, maybe the Lakers, maybe Westbrook trade, sure. But the Nets have to first figure out what to do with KD, and then they'll figure out what to do with Kyrie. I think the most important thing for them is they need to realize it's time to hit the big red reset button. Just reset. Uh, so where's KD going to go? <laughs> Again, Golden State. Let's talk about them first. The, the reigning champions, the dynastic NBA team to beat, right? The favorites going into next year, Golden State Championship Basketball, Championship Organization, Championship Dynasty, as I mentioned uh, last time I spoke to you guys one-on-one. It makes too much sense. The trade makes too much sense. You have KD right? And you could get in return Poole, Wiggins, and Wiseman. For a team that's hitting the big red reset button, what better package could you hope for, right? And then you could keep Kyrie around. I don't know. I don't want to go that far, but that is a wonderful reset package, right? Wiseman still has a high ceiling. Wiggins is finding, I think he's finding his role. And that might change if he's on a team where he's not, you know, where he has to be more of a number two scorer. But, um, one, it makes too much sense. And I say too much because Katie's not going to let that happen. Like everything I just mentioned about the narrative around him as a player and the narrative around him as a person and a leader, look, he's just not a leader, right? And he knows it. He knows what he's doing. I think when he went to Golden State, it was a, it was a learning moment for he himself to figure out, am I a leader? Am I going to be the one to take this team to a championship? Or am I just a piece of the puzzle? Am I, am I an important piece of a championship puzzle? And I think the Golden State experience, coupled with his Brooklyn experience, tells us the answer. He's just a very, very, very important piece of a puzzle. He's not the Steph Curry leader, put the franchise on his shoulders, as well as the team on the court on his shoulders, and carrying them to the championship. That's just not who Kevin Durant is. Um, and for that reason, I think after discovering that, He's not going to go back to Golden State with his tail between his legs. Like, okay, guys, like, get me another one, please. I just don't see it. So what are, there, what are some other teams? Like two other teams that come to my mind. Uh, the first one are the Miami Heat. Why? 
because Mr. Riley, Mr. Pat Riley is in the building and he makes, he's, he's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Um, he knows how to do these backroom deals where it's just him making a phone call. Uh, he knows always how to have enough assets on hand uh, to make something happen. Um, so don't never, never count them out. They don't have a, um, a oh, look, no disrespect to Jimmy Butler, who's a absolute star in the NBA. He's not a superstar. He's a star. Um, but could they benefit from Kevin Durant again being that very very important piece that gets them to a title? Absolutely, 100, 100, 1,000 percent. Right? They they need his scoring coupled with Jimmy Butler's leadership and defense, coupled with Eric Spoelstra, with Pat Riley at the helm. That team is that team is very very well positioned to win a title should Kevin Durant land there. And then the last one for me is just a fun one: the Pelicans. The Pelicans, I don't know. This is just, you know, in in circles that's kind of spilling out now uh, on Twitter. But is that a direct trade for Zion? I like that trade for the Brooklyn Nets, especially if that, especially if Kyrie deal kind of they get other pieces for Kyrie, um, other guards potentially. Um, but another thing that's interesting about the Pelicans is what if, what if Zion is actually staying and you couple KD with Zion? I personally think that's just another recipe for disaster because you have one guy who, who you need to be a leader coupled with the guy who's never available, right? It's the same kind of experience. The Kyrie KD experience is going to be similar to the KD Zion experience because Zion and Kyrie in terms of availability. And remember the best ability you can have is availability. That's going to be a failed experiment in my, in my honest opinion, you also also do not have the franchise and organization around him uh, to really succeed and really push for that title. So I think that's just a fun one to talk about, but not actually real. So that's the NBA current status as of today, July 7th, I'll be right back to talk about July 4th and the weekend that was. Nothing says America like July 4th, July 4th weekend and, and having that day off fireworks, barbecue, American flags, the whole nine yards. Um, and I wanted to first start with, I think what was, what was an underreported entertainment, entertaining story. And for those of you that don't know this, I like to think we have a, a very uh, eclectic base of listeners, but every July 4th, Nathan's hot dogs, Host this hot dog eating chomp, uh, hot dog eating contest, excuse me, on Coney Island. And for the last however many years, I don't know, probably last seven, eight years, Joey Chestnut has won. This guy is 38 years old. He's an absolute monster of an eater. And I know there's different kinds of eaters that, like, you know, you eat different things, whether that be ice cream, whether that be sliders or whatever. But when it comes to hot dogs, there's no one better. I remember he's been doing it so long that I remember whenever True Life on MTV was a show. They did one on Joey Chestnut and he was living in this, I don't want to say dingy, but dingy apartment. And he just had a pot of boiling water on at all times. And then a timer would go off in his house and he would go like just crush 10 hot dogs like as fast as he could. And that was his kind of like training regimen. Um, it's been a long, it's been a long time since true life. I'm a professional eater, Joey Chestnut to 38 years old, winning another Nathan's hot dog championship. Uh, can I call it a championship? I don't know. Is it just a winner of winner of the of the contest? Are you a contest winner? Or are you a champion? I, I don't know. Well, that's a, that's up for debate. I guess you can only be a champion if it's a real sport. Is hot dog eating a real sport? On July fourth, I would say I would I would venture to say yes, it is. Um, 
He's 38 years old. This dude rolls up on crutches. He rolls up on crutches and dominates it as he always does. You know, last year he put down 76 hot dogs. Let me just like mention that 76 hot dogs. Um, and in the process, this is why I said it was entertaining. Around hot dog 17, someone ambushes him and he's in the middle of the table because that's the prime spot, prime real estate for, for the top seed. He gets ambushed. And as he's getting ambushed, uh, he puts this dude in a headlock and he's eating hot. He has his hot dogs literally in his hands. And so instead of using his hands, right, because he, he had he, he used his elbow, put this guy in a headlock. And this guy, if you're curious, like he is a animal rights activist um, and he was protesting kind of Smithfield Foods who supplies Nathan's hot dogs, their hot dogs. Um, for anyone that wants to know how hot dogs are made, just go to YouTube and or don't because I don't think I need to infer uh, how gross they probably are in terms of how they're made. And especially the fact that someone put down 76 glizzies on a 4th of July hot dog eating contest. Just, let's just not even dive too deep into the nuance and detail of that. But afterwards, Joey Chestnut said, if I had pushed him, I would have had to drop the hot dogs in my hands. If you're looking for a committed champion of anything, Look no further than that statement. If I pushed him, I would have to have dropped the hot dog. This guy was not letting a protester up in his space stop him from winning another hot dog eating title. Uh, as I was doing research for this bit, I just typed in Joe. I, sometimes like I like to just pause when I'm typing something in the search bar of Google just because I, I get so entertained by the autofill. And I just typed in J-O-E. And you think Joe Biden would be the first person to show up. But nope, on July 7th, 2022, Joey Chestnut's name shut up in the autofill before Joe Biden. I think that just gives you a little sense of the state of the state of our country. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure more people are going to be watching. Uh, more people have watched the Nathan's hot dog eating contest and will watch the State of the Union with the, with with Joe Joe Biden. Um, and then on to myself and July Fourth barbecue. We talk about food so much on this podcast. I'd be remiss not to mention barbecuing on the Fourth of July. Now, when you think about 4th of July barbecue in the United States, what do you think of? You think of hot dogs, you think of hamburgers, you think of potato salad, uh, brownies, all sorts of hand, hand desserts, but mostly hand-based food items, right? And you think of, I mean, there's the, the, and the list is limitless, right? Macaroni salad, macaroni, uh, uh, dinner rolls, the list goes on and on and on. Um, no, and, and just to be clear, potato salad is the only salad that's that's being eaten on Fourth of July. But you know what? This year for me, this year for me was the year I think I'm graduating. I think I'm graduating July Fourth barbecue food. Previous years, I would go to Costco. I would just buy a shitload of burgers and buns and hot dogs, maybe some brats, and I'd just grill up. It was more about volume of food cooked and consumed than it was about what was being cooked and consumed. And I, and, and consider this my not retirement, cause I still love a, a nice little hot dog every now and then a nice little hamburger, but consider this kind of my graduation speech of like, I think moving forward, all I'm eating on July 4th is a shitload of steak and a shitload of chicken. 
And when I say steak, I don't mean burgers. I mean ribeyes. I mean New York strips. Uh, I mean chicken chicken thighs that have been marinated in some like honey and soy sauce or honey and barbecue sauce that have been thoughtfully put away in the fridge for a few hours before it's barbecue time. But this year is a year that I'm making that transition. I made that transition of burgers and hot dogs, like five or six of each throughout the day to just give me a delicious steak in my belly and give me some delicious chicken in my belly. And I also had one last shout out. Corn on the cob. Corn on the cob is maybe one of the most underrated barbecue foods, right? And I think there's so many ways to do it, but we had a smaller grill this year. And what I did, and it's something that my wife actually figured out, the best way to do corn is not necessarily on the grill. Boil those bad boys. Boil the corn for like five minutes. Take it out. If you want a little charn, then put it on the grill for a little bit, not even wrapped in anything. That's the best way to do corn. Boil, char, eat. So barbecue corn, steak, chicken, and desserts. That's my July 4th from here on out. Uh, Now, I'm not omitting any desserts. I'll eat any dessert always put in front of me because as you guys know from the dessert bracket, that's my jam. But in terms of the meats, I'll have a hot dog here or there, hamburger here or there, but give me some steak, give me some delicious chicken. And let us know on social media, what was your favorite July 4th food that you had? We'll put the poll up, let us know, and I'll be back right after the break to talk about my alma mater, USC, moving to the Big Ten. Cue the hordes of students with the V for victory up, fight on USC, Lincoln Riley first, now announcing a move to the Big Ten in 2024. (laughs) College football just keeps getting more and more entertaining, at least on the news cycle, if not the games. eh, I talked about on this podcast, you know, like NFL professional sports for me is where my attention is, just the level of play, the competitive nature. College football, eh, there's so many, so many fucking blowouts in college football that while it's interesting, it fails to hold my attention, especially now that I'm married, now that I'm having a, a, a beautiful baby girl. My time to watch college football, only to be disappointed. Uh, that opportunity is, that window's closing fast. But I will make a concerted effort from here on out, as long as Lincoln Riley is our coach, to watch college football. So, what happened? USC and UCLA have decided to join the Big Ten in 2024. The way I actually found out was, you know, obviously my friends text me, but also within those friends text, a little Andrew Rossi, my co-host of this podcast, slides in and says, this is such bullshit. So Andrew is not very happy. I mean, look, look, he will talk about it at length when he comes back, but hey, bud, the Ducks are going to win the Pac-10, pac Eight. I mean, I don't know how many people, how many teams are going to leave the conference, but they're going to win for the foreseeable future. Um, so congrats on another Rose Bowl. In the meantime, in 2024, USC and UCLA will go to the Big Ten. And I cannot think of anything more entertaining than the Cardinal and Gold going into the big house. The Cardinal and Gold going into the horseshoe uh, and playing the likes of Michigan, playing the likes of Ohio State and vice versa. Imagine the Wolverines rolling into the Coliseum. The Buckeyes rolled into the Coliseum. My very first game as a USC student, when we stomped that team, I think we went 34 to three. Uh, John David Booty, wherever he is, hopefully, hopefully you're listening. 
we crushed them in that game, but just the pageantry leading up to that game as a non-conference game. Imagine what's on the line when that's a conference game. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Now, the number one comment I've heard on the, from the media is, oh, well, and even just from fans, like, well, well, UCLA, you know, they're just tagging along. And look, in terms of TV money that rolls in, the majority of the Pac-12 TV money is from the LA market. So UCLA and USC, that's just one part of it. That's just the the viewership rights, the TV rights, the money that comes in from sponsorships. But last time I looked up, UCLA is a much better football team than USC. I know we have Lincoln Riley and like, look, that's all hearsay. Until I see some results on the field, last time I checked, sure, USC is a bigger name. UCLA football, talent-wise, who in terms of who's on the roster, as well as a product on the field, is better than USC. So I think there's a lot more parity. Uh, even though UCLA is kind of like the sub-headline of this, I'm pretty sure that this is just going to keep adding two good, really good, maybe great teams uh, to the Big Ten. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. But the matchups are going to be super exciting in the Big Ten. Like That is something I will definitely be tuned in to watch. Now, there, will there be some dud games? Of course. Like No one's going to watch USC versus Rutgers. That will be one that I will check on the ESPN app or whatever app um, while they're playing. Um, but th- there will be at least three to four, five good matchups a year to watch. So tune in. Those games are going to be fantastic starting in 2024. Um, Now, that being said, USC has two years. Listen up, Lincoln Riley. You better fucking win these next two years because this is going to be a cupcake of a schedule compared to what it's going to be like in the Big Ten. Look, I know Utah's good. I know Oregon's going to be good. Obviously, UCLA already talked about, but it's not going to be easy. It is not going to be easy once you move to the Big Ten. Uh, so soak up some wins, make a couple playoff appearances, kind of establish the program, bring in more recruits before we move to the Big Ten, because let's not forget recruiting and how competitive that's going to be as well with Ryan Day in Ohio State, uh, Mr. Jim Harbaugh. Um, you'll still get the California recruiting uh, pool, but look, it's not going to be as easy again. Um, and the last thing I want to say is, like, what is the impact on college football? One, you got to expand the playoff. You got to expand the playoff because now it, just those three teams I mentioned, let's just include throw UCLA in there, UCLA, USC, Michigan, Ohio state. If those teams beat up on each other and say all the teams go two and two in those games and win every other game, when their games by like 40 or 50 or even like two and one, or even three and one, what are you going to do? You're not going to let someone into the dance. You're really not. You're going to have sec with Texas and Oklahoma. You have the ACC with Clemson, obviously, then you're going to have the Pac-12 or whatever. I don't, I don't even know if that conference can be taken seriously anymore. You'll have Oregon. I'm saying, but you'll have Oregon, maybe Washington. Um, and then you'll have three or four powerhouse teams in the Big Ten. So you can't just choose four. Uh, you're going to have to expand. I, I think that goes without saying. And I hope that the NCAA kind of recognizes what's going on there and, and figures that out. And then... I think you need to kill the idea of automatic bids to bowl games. Uh, the Rose Bowl, maybe that one stays because as as, as my co-host Angela say, the pageantry of the Rose Bowl is is maybe one of the best, uh, best in college football, maybe the best in sports. But all these other bowl games, let's just do away with the automatic bids. And I will end this segment with just proposing something maybe crazy. Call me crazy. But let's bring back the BCS ranking system include strength of schedule, include strength of conference, and just, you know, objectively ranks teams. 
And whoever those top eight teams are, there's your playoff teams. Let's remove the judgment. Let's let the computers do it. Look, that's where this is, this is where sports are going to end up anyway. We've talked about robotic officials. We've talked about robotic referees. That's how it should be done anyway. Let's let computers decide who the best teams are and let's pick the best eight. Let's pick the best 12 and give four a buy or whatever. And let's stop this, this joke of a postseason that college football has. And let's move back to reality. And let's let our eyes and let the computers tell us who the best teams are uh, and put those teams uh, to vie for the championship. And that's it. Episode 60, 60. Wow. Episode 60 of the Shooting 2 podcast is now coming to a, coming to a close. We'll see you next week when my boy Andrew is back. Hopefully everyone had a fun and safe July 4th. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks very much for coming this evening, ladies and gentlemen.